Hi, and welcome to the latest In Conversation podcast in association with Film Ireland. Today, I am joined with the wonderful Tony Cranston, who is an editor who has worked, I don't know, Tony, how many years in the industry? Yeah, as an editor, probably close to 35 years. 35 years. So I think it's fair to say, Tony, you've probably seen many different stages come and go <laughs> and different technologies. But just to give our, our listeners kind of an idea, Tony's been working as an editor on, well, nearly every genre, but I guess... Talking, going back to TV, stuff like Queer as Folk, Cracker, yeah, um, yeah. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Amber, actually, probably more recently as far as TV stuff goes. And then from films as recent as The Farthest, Without Name, From the Dark by Conor McMahon, A Day for Mad Mary, of course, and Gold. Then going back to Mr. Bean's Holiday, Perry's Bounty, anything else major I'm missing? The, ro- the Royal Family. The Royal Family, of course. Kind of, yeah, hugely was, popular. Yeah. Um, that was one of my favourite kind of gigs. I yeah, think. I can imagine. So like, before we get into the actual project yourselves, like, can you just give us even just a general sense about, you know, yourself and why editing? Like, what, what pulled you into this? It goes way back for me. I was, I was actually affected by a cut as a, as a young child. It was uh, a cut that my father actually made, and he wasn't an industry professional. He was a kind of home movie enthusiast. And back in the 60s, he had a cine camera. I, I didn't know at the time, but um, I'll, 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 I'll set the scene. I was seven years old, and um, we were in my uncle's garden, and he was chopping down a, a, a dead apple tree. And so the the tree tree was chopped down. I was running around the garden, having a fun time, and peering through the branches. And you know, my father got the camera out and and filmed some of this stuff. And what he would usually do, he would you know send it off to the local chemist and get it processed. He had a little editing bench. He would join it all together and then project it on the wall. And he used to get these stock shots, these library shots on eight millimeter film, and they used to kind of they they were readily available. You could buy these little strips of film, and commonly there would be like a, an aeroplane taking off that you'd put on the front of a holiday clip or stuff like that. And on this particular occasion, he found a shot of a tiger jumping out of the bushes. I think it was from like a a kids film in the sixties called Daktari, and he came across this this shot. And in this garden scene, when, when, when it was projected on, on the wall at my uncle's house, there we are, there's, you know, chopping down these branches of this tree. There's a picture of me in the garden running around like a young kid. And then it cut to this undergrowth and a tiger came out of the undergrowth and jumped over the camera. And then it went back to, back <laughs> into the garden. There was more chopping up branches. And I just, I, I was convinced that that my uncle had a tiger in his garden and that was the power of this car. It was incredible. I didn't know at the time, I was way too young, I didn't know that that was an edit. Whenever I'd watch TV as a, as a young boy, even as a, as a, a teenager, I, I'd be much more innocent than people are today. I just believe that everything was consecutive. It just was. It, that was how it, how it was. There wasn't, there wasn't any editing, but as I grew up, I got to learn about this and that power of the cut never never left me. And then when I was round, round about studying O-levels, I got a chance to go into an advertising agency for some work experience and went to a day's filming and found that really, really boring. You know, it was a commercial shoot and so the camera would turn over like once every two hours or so for 
10 seconds <laughs> and then, you know, there'd be a, 50 people would be running around kind of doing stuff and you'd just be stood in the corner trying to keep out of the way. But at the end of that day, I got taken into a cutting room and so the, the commercial had been shooting for a couple of days and so the people I were with was, was with, they brought me along to the cutting room. I went into this 35mm cutting room in Soho and I actually saw a bigger version of what my father used to do in the spare bedroom on a little plank of wood with a couple of split spools on it. And I just, I fell in love and realized that this understanding of what editing was and you could actually do this and make a living out of it. And I, yeah, at, at the age of 16, uh, having sat my O-levels, I got in touch with these people and um, was lucky enough to get a job as a as a runner in Soho, running running around Soho with cans of film and st- st- started in the cutting room. And look, you know that that seven year old boy is still in the cutting room today. You it, know? Ju- it just made sense straight away. It just totally did. It just clicked. Yeah, and and, and I, you know, it's very it's it it seems kind of bizarre to. Uh, to put it back to those that very early time but I think I I was very much affected by that and I love the idea that it's it's a it's a cut that the power of a cut and I've never kind of lost that belief that editing can do that and so I think you're absolutely right like because I think again for anyone who's gone through the process of whether they've directed but they've worked with an editing but, but sat in an editing suite and watched that I think once you've been through that at least once that's where you realize how much those cuts count. As in, I'm I'm still amazed after after editing a number of films how just a couple of frames left or right, and all of a sudden I'm left with a totally different emotion. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, editing is such a wonderful a wonderful filmmaking tool that when um, you know just in filmmaking uh, the the processes that you know it's all of these parts. Which are which are so creative. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've huge respect and admiration for anyone making film, and ed- editing's important. But from a guy that goes out and finds locations to the actors to the cinematography to the sound recordist to the production design, costume makeup, there are so many decisions and so many kind of great people doing great work to realize a director's vision but then all of all of these bits come into the cutting room and they're they're you know if you're lucky you've got lots of lots of great stuff but at that point if the audience were to look at it they wouldn't really be able to discern anything that they could enjoy as a as a film and it's at that point in the cutting room where the influences of all the all of these people's decisions and work kind of start to come together, and the collaboration then with between the, the the editor and the director start to bring this thing to life. Yeah, no, it's funny because I, I totally agree with you. I think it's a very interesting thing where people, when I talk to them about films they love, and they talk about particular performances or, or actors who are just incredible in those films, and. With some people, I think maybe, yes, if you saw the, the raw footage, you may think that performance is wonderful, but it's also fascinating to me how, and not that the edit creates a performance, but actually how much it can facilitate and highlight what an actor is doing. 
for all, all those great films out there, it's it's a beautifully edited together scene that allows us to see that great performance. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think a badly yeah. edited film actually can hide quite good performances. <laughs> you, you you totally, it's it's within your control to manipulate. That's that's what um, editing does. Just that that simple decision of at the point where you decide to go to someone in vision or you play their dialogue out of vision there's huge huge manipulation goes on but it's it's about feeling feeling the emotion understanding the storytelling that you want to to tell and if you're if you're blessed with great script and some really strong acting and you know great vision from a from a director and you know beautiful cinematography then your role as an editor is basically to keep out of the way you know you just you you want to you don't you don't need to do too much you need to do enough to tell the story but actually it's the filmmaking isn't just about the editing there are so many other things in play and edit, editing just isn't about cutting 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 it's also about knowing when not to cut and you you could get presented with a dozen shots for a scene and it's kind of uh, as when 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 you're doing your your assembly pass you know for for those that listening that don't know the the editor is doing, working on this process called an assembly while the film is being shot so every day you're getting dailies in you're responding to them you're putting together a an assembly of of the scene and would you actually just to cut in there would you normally watch dailies with the director at the end of the day or do you actually just get it handed directly to you nowadays i uh, look you know back in the day if i if i go back 30 years to being an assistant you know working in in studios um yeah it was a it was a regular thing that you know there would be projected dailies at the end of the shooting day and that would be a film that was being shot in studios so everyone was within the same complex mm. and um yeah you would have the director come back and sometimes you'd have you know some of the actors come back as well as the key hod's so there, there could be 10 or 20 people sat in an auditorium and you would watch the selected takes from the previous day. You wouldn't watch every single take. Yeah. If they'd done 10 takes and they printed three, you'd watch those three. But everybody would watch them, and, and it was really useful for costume to see how the costumes looked against the design and um, you know, and, and makeup just to see that the makeup was looking okay. And you know, for the editor, the editor would sit closely to the director yeah. and you'd have this little conversation about you know you'd look at three takes and the director would say yeah I think I like the second one and you might say oh there was that moment in the first take and they go yeah yeah that's that's really good too and you get an idea of what your taste and their taste were like and so you'd be able to then go away and assemble that scene and so you know having having that 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 process of assembling you're making a a stab at Here's how the scene could be. Yeah. And it's important that it tells the story. And so, you know, you, when, when you assemble the scene, you can look at it and go, actually, that moment, there's a moment where when I read the script, I thought that we would highlight a particular thing a little bit more than the realisation of the scene brings. Yeah. 
And so it's your duty then to have a conversation with the director and say, I've assembled the scene. I thought the moment when X happened would have been a little bit stronger, but you've decided not to push that. I just, you know, it's it's a flag. And then the director might say, yeah, yeah that, that would be too heavy handed. I decided I, I definitely didn't want to do that. And you go, okay, that's fine. I just wanted to flag it. Or they might say, oh, really? Uh, you don't think it comes across? And then, you know, modern technology, you can make a quick time and send a quick time to the director that evening. They can look at it and you can... If they want to change it, they can change it, or they might go, "Yeah, you're using you're using take four, but actually, I think on on my recollection is one of the early takes. There was a, a stronger beat there, and so your creative collaboration is is already beginning to flower to 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 flower, you know. So um, absolutely, well, because I, I think that it's an interesting point because again, for me, like the biggest concern on a film set if someone tells me just not to worry about it or it'll be grand like I think if you're taking on any role whether it is costume or, or editing like your job is you own that department you own that section as such and so if you see anything it's not it's not being problematic to call someone up and say hey do you want to just have a little look at it like you were there to help them you were there to actually absolutely you know you're you're the, the guard at the door <laughs> you know absolutely and every 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 HOD on a on a film is you know we're all there to put the director's vision on the screen and and I think that that's that's the most important thing the director whether they've written it or they haven't they've taken this idea they've they've thought about the story they've gone through and created mood boards and in collaboration with casting directors they've cast it and with their producers they've they've brought this thing into into being and so everybody is there to support them, and it and it's a it's a wonderful creative experience for for all of us for all the HODs that collaborate with the director to bring their their vision to the screen. Yeah, no, actually, and I think you you touch on a very good point though as well. It's like for, uh, and I think actually it, it's a concern for editors as much as for directors or producers or anyone actually that when it comes to working with someone, let's just take the director editor relationship because that's what we're talking about today that actually obviously you have to look at someone's past work and their experience but so much of it is also personality and how well the two of you get on or have a similar I don't know whether it's an appreciation or what but like I, I would argue that that relationship and that kind of connection is probably almost as important as someone's experience yeah it it it, it totally is and I, I I'm a firm believer that there are there are tons of talented editors out there and actually the the physical editing of two shots together in perfect continuity is that's you take that that just happens matter of fact when i'm editing i I don't even it's it's just a very instinctive thing that if some if i'm cutting on someone sitting into a chair my outgoing shot i go oh i'll just cut there my incoming shot i'll just cut there put the two of them together and that's pretty much the the cut and it rarely changes i don't get into going oh i need to tape two frames off of this one and extend that that one by a frame in in your initial that's kind of fine cutting that's Mm. way down the line your initial cut is you you just put it together the so the actual editing just almost happens without you realizing that it's happening what's what's really important for the relationship between editor and director is 
the fact that you've got to spend so much time together. So for a director, they need to choose an editor of a of a like mind. Now, you might be going off to direct a horror movie and you your mind goes, all right, this is a horror movie. I need to get a horror editor, so I need to... Who cut Amityville? Exactly, who who yeah. cut The Evil Dead? You know, and, and find that person. Now, you could then meet them and actually you're just... You're completely clashing and you're kind of going... Oh my gosh, they're but they've cut this this great horror. But if if you don't feel the relationship is right for you, then your instinct, whatever your instinct tells you at that meeting, you should stick with because you're gonna have to spend months with that person in in their room in, in, in a in a very confined space. And it may well be that if you if you're directing a horror that actually, you know, the editor of a film like American Beauty mm-hmm. or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you know, it, they, they could be the the right editor for you. You could meet them and kind of go, okay, this person really gets me, gets what I want to to do, and you know, you can work with them. And you know, I across my career, I've edited a lot, edited a lot of comedy. I just got into comedy. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know that I was necessarily that funny at school, but I just I, I've edited comedy, but I've edited documentary, you know, serious documentary. I've um, uh, I've edited drama and I've edited horror. So I, I've edited lots of lots of different genres within film, and just because I have some comedy bones doesn't mean that I can't cut a serious documentary or a, or a horror. And that goes for all, all the editors, I think. You Absolutely, know, yes. It's so easy to pigeonhole us. And I think that, that actually if you get the director and you understand the, the type of film they want to make, you, know, you understand story, then... And you're fine. Yeah, then <laughs> well, no, it's weird because I'd, I'd agree with you, but actually I'd argue from my point of view, the fact that you uh, say you've edited a lot of comedy, that actually the skill set is more the reason you're able to make comedy work is you're able to recognize the moment in that scene and in a comedy that can be the funny moment it could be a look it could be a line but actually i think it's almost the exact same skill when you're building a scary scene or a tense thriller or anything it's more identifying the the moment of that scene or or the drama of it and and you know people think of dramas in just two people sitting around kitchen table you know having a cry it's not like the drama is whatever is happening in that scene and actually i think if you can identify that kind of regardless of the genre, you, you can build that and put it together. I don't think they're as separate as people like to describe. No, the, uh, and that's true. And actually, the the comedy and horror are, you know, from an editing perspective, are remarkably similar. That comedy has to deliver the punchline and horror has to deliver the scare. And actually, I think in, in when you're constructing scenes of that nature you subconsciously make similar decisions. Absolutely. I think um, so. Well, like, because particularly as well, because it's not even just the, say, let's say the punchline and the joke, but also say the, the, the guy in the mask jumping out of the dark. It's so much the build up to that as well. Like regardless of how well someone delivers that punchline in a joke, 
actually it's everything that's happened up to that moment that can dramatically increase how funny you know that line will be or how scary that that jump will be yeah i I really think there's a lot of similarity between them and obviously the fact that you've worked in so many genres shows that which kind of brings me back to the, the the bare necessity of what editing is okay so a lot of people and I suppose they're not wrong in a, in a very physical way. It is the act of putting one shot next to each other. Mm-hmm. But I think that can be quite a, a dangerous oversimplification of what is really an art form and can sometimes be a little bit underappreciated as the art form. In it. So for you, wh- what is editing? Like, what is it that an editor does? Okay, without without getting into film theory and stuff, I was very taken with the Russian filmmaker Sergei Eisenstein. He talked about montage, and I think there's a kind of, you can find it on YouTube, but there, there's a, a quote he says that, that editing isn't, isn't about putting one shot next to another, laying them down in a line. It's, you think about it as putting one shot on top of the other, and so I, I think that that's a really important thing for editors because what, what that communicates to me is that shot two carries the memory of shot one you know, within it. And so it is, I think when you're, when you're editing, you've got to be very mindful of that, that type of thing, that every editing decision you make, you know, it's learning from what came before. Um, it is, yeah, it, like it, it, every image influences the next one. Actually, that's so for people who haven't seen it, Eisenstein's Balash of Potemkin is, is a real classic that's worth checking out. But like this would have been, I don't even sure what year that would have been made, but like up until, or maybe even a bit after these films, a number of features were really just kind of scenes plunked together as such. You know, it was kind of almost filmed like theatre. It was just, here's this bit, here's that bit. And films like Balash of Potemkin and to some extent, like A Birth of a Nation and everything, I realized that actually by putting certain images before or after each other, you could dramatically either heighten or change the meaning of some of the images that you're seeing. Do you think, because I think Hitchcock famously talked about that as well, where, you know, if you're watching like a, a blank person's face, but we show a kitten before, we think that they're smiling, you know, and how, how that changes what we believe in those things. So do you think that an editor, um, like, is there a responsibility on an editor for what they can do? Because obviously editing in a way is propaganda, it is manipulation. You are changing things to create a certain emotion and do you feel the editors have any responsibility to that say particularly in a documentary setting to keeping an element of truth yeah well that (laughs) um sorry for throwing all that at you (laughs) yeah no no that's that that's i mean the documentary editing that opens up a real kind of minefield because it really depends on the on the subject matter and what you were trying to say i think there's there's one thing to to be fair i worked on documentaries years you know very early on in my career i'd worked on a current affairs series um called world in action did that for a couple of years and it was great kind of learning for me and there was always a degree of fairness in the, the perspective of the story you just weren't saying this is bad yeah. You also had to allow room for a, a voice for someone to say, well, actually, I disagree. I think it's good. Even though clearly the thing that the, the overall subject may not have been palatable, um, but you, you were allowing someone to give a positive expression and someone to give a, a negative expression. And then it was up to you as the audience to watch it and make your own decision. So, you know, fairness in terms of, of that, I think, is very, very important. If you're making 
a kind of an anti-film, then as the editor, you've got a huge responsibility in not manipulating the footage so that you're saying that, or you're suggesting that something happened, it didn't happen at that moment. Yeah. It happened actually a week later, but because editing is so immediate that you can put event A and event B next to one another, and if the audience think, oh, that person's really, really bad because they did this and then they did that, oh, that's terrible, I hate them, then you've manipulated too much, I think. And so there are kind of ways in documentary storytelling that you can still have those two things, but you need to be truthful that they didn't happen so close to one another. So I think there there is a huge responsibility on editors in documentary to be really, really careful about what you what you join together and just to be very very aware of what you're communicating and just because it's sexy yeah. and it kind of you know that's the temptation isn't it because you're kind of thinking like you know dramatically this yeah. really worked and yet it, it's not it's not truthful yeah you know it, and so you and know, I do think it's like that's one of the sad things that say maybe some TV documentary particularly has lost over the last decade or so is where it is just the salacious stuff all crammed together while documentaries used to be it was a document it was a presentation of something and the belief that by watching this you you will know whether it was a good or a bad thing as opposed to just telling you one side of the story yeah i i have a lot of integrity when it comes down to documentary making and if if i get told by someone higher up the chain that oh well there's too much information and we need to kind of truncate everything and so you know we need to put this this beat next to this beat and I'm kind of going that's telling that's telling something that isn't quite true and as you point out you know it might they might love it because it is sexy and mm. it's you know they're going they're going oh it's fine it, they actually happened in that order and you're kind of going no because a bit like going back to montage again you you put two things together and what went before is carried through into what comes next and so you just have to be you have a responsibility i think but you know as an editor and ultimately the responsibility is with the director you know no it's it's the the director's film and if the director kind of says that's what i want to do then i think in in all of the genres, you know, anything that's scripted, fine, we can do everything. But if you're making documentary about a real person, specifically a real person, a real living person today, um, then you have a, a great responsibility to to being truthful. Um, you know, if you're if you're making a documentary about something that happened 500 years ago, then uh, okay, there's there's probably a little bit more, a little wriggle, more leeway, <laughs> a little bit more wriggle room there. But uh, so yeah, the, no, yeah. yeah, it's just because again, I think it's it's only one of those things you realize the more you edit is is the ability that you have to actually change these things. And I think there is a certain responsibility to to how you treat that material and, and how you do. And actually, in the same way that I think when we're doing a, a fiction film as well, when you know, I suppose it depends on the script actually. Because in certain scenes, you could favor one person over another. Uh, and usually that will be based on which is most appropriate for the story, I suppose, the overall arc. But if you're just editing one scene totally out of context with other things, like I could lean on 
character A instead of character B and make it quite a different thing. I can make you empathize with them instead of the other person. You know, if I hold on a guy while he's getting broken, dumped by his girlfriend, if I hold on his face the whole way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately bringing the user into or the viewer into his world. While if I edit it a totally different way, we might actually much more appreciate the girlfriend's reason for breaking up with him. Good editors are very sensitive to the material and it's very important to be true to the, the story that the director wants to to tell and clearly some directors again they depending on their their point of view they may favor one character in a scene over another character that's the director's vision that's the that's what the director wants to do if you get the material and there's equal coverage on two characters in a scene then it's 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 really important to kind of understand who the scene is about you know what is it what is important and if it is a a couple breaking up then is is the story is the lead for the story kind of more towards the person that's being dumped or the person that's doing the the breaking up and so you just have to you ha- you, you kind of i think you instinctively kind of know that um it it is I, I guess you know the ed- editing is is also allows you to be kind of slightly perverse in in the way that you might get kind of more emotion out of a scene by being favouring someone unexpected. Absolutely. Um, going off on on a kind of a tangent, but but you know there is there's the reason for this. But you know with. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier that kind of, um, or you didn't mention, I mentioned <laughs> that I edited the Royal Family. Yes. Um, and in, in that, if, if you, if you watch the, I, I, I worked on the first three series of the Royal Family and, and it was wonderful to, to do. Um, but it was very, very different, the, um, the comedy editing because quite a lot of the, the, the punchlines were kind of played off. It's quite perverse in a, in a, in a strange kind of way, but because you have this this family sat down watching TV, um, and while they're watching TV, there are little these little pockets of conversation going on. I'd been like millions of other people. We've all sat down in a living room, and the TV's been on, and you've been sat there with your siblings or, or your parents, and conversations have gone on. And it is I, I, I've witnessed watching tv and someone has said something off to you know out of my eye line sat on the sofa and it's been i've got i can't believe they said that and i haven't kind of had the i've not been privileged to have turned in time to have seen them said yeah. it it just kind of happened and so everything is slightly you know off and delayed and so i in the editing i i brought that um sensibility to to the cutting and um the director and Carolina Hearn, um, God rest her soul, and Craig Cash, who are the, the two writers, and Henry Norman was involved in the early series of The Royal Family. They loved that. They loved the the thing that it was slightly... Um, but it felt real, didn't it? Like, it, it, it? It did. You it know? did. If you would position the cut in, into a way that you, you cut and then they did something funny, you're kind of preempting the the laugh. 
Now, there's plenty of comedy that requires you to do that. There's, there's, but for this particular comedy, it was allowing you to just witness it slightly later, and that was, <laughs> um, and actually, the the writing was so strong yeah. that the line was so funny. It didn't need even, and, it, and, and and the actors were 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 so good in the in the 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 series that something funny would be said, and you'd be looking at Jim Royal, the the dad, uh, played by Ricky Tomlinson, and you could actually open up the edit so you heard this really funny line being said, and you could look at look at the dad watching the telly, and just see. His thought process, and it was as almost as if he was going, "Did I really hear them just say that?" And he would kind of slowly turn and and. But see, and that's and, the reality, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that people don't do it like a double take where they quickly flip over. Actually, it's letting it process and then trying to subtly kind of look over, going, "No, you didn't." <laughs> and, and and so when you're watching him, you've heard it. You've heard it like he's heard it, and you're going, "That was really really funny." And then you get a double laugh because. He was then reacting, you know, mm. after you'd reacted. And, but it you connects know. you with him as well, though, doesn't it? Because, like, I think that's a really good point as well when it comes to editing. And that goes sound-wise as well as visually. Like, the depending on, on the point of view and everything, but actually the if someone comes in with a line that, that's just sort of out of nowhere or that's surprising, the fact that we don't see it allows us to experience it as those characters do. Because, as you said, it's not a preempting thing. And it's actually funnier you know because there's no kind of setup for it it just comes out of nowhere and we're sort of it just sort of sits there yeah, yeah. Um, it, it 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 worked for it worked for the for the for the royal family you know and there's 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 a lot of a lot of that stuff and it's 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 an observational comedy and so there's the editing the editing kind of played a a, a real role an important role in 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 the way the comedy worked and the timing in that, you know, was um, there was real motivation for all of the editing. It was really, really um, important. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I wanted to ask you just about on the, while we're on the TV topic, editing for TV, because this is kind of a different art form than say for features, because you've got strict time limits. Like I presume you've got a clear segment length, you know, obviously the scripts are structured around that. So that helps, but how challenging is it then? Because obviously some people can deliver lines a little bit slower, a little bit quicker to actually get those episodes in on time, you know, even between whether it's the crime ones like Cracker or on the comedy levels, like, is that tricky? Did you find it normally kind of fell more or less into place or, or was it a hard thing? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, I've, I've in, in, in truth, I've, I've been cutting features now for quite a number of years. So my my TV editing is is probably close to seven or eight years ago since I was editing TV, and then the last number of years it's been been featured. So it may have changed a little bit more, and I'm sure that there are more commercial breaks and there are more pressures today. I think in the part one of a of a TV episode has to be within a certain duration because they need to get the commercials mm. in at a certain time. Um, but the overall length, I mean. It, Yes, you you had a responsibility as as to, as the editor to to get it into the the running time, but you know a lot of the the TV writers are so accomplished that actually you know they the page count on scripts you know it comes in comes in very very close you know it it was 
and I think kind of TV, TV is kind of the, 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 the schedules and everything else are, are, are so precise yeah. that actually, you know, I'd be, maybe it does happen. I mean, maybe someone listening will kind of say, oh, I edited Game of Thrones and I had a 50-minute episode and my assembly was two hours, you know, and I had to throw an hour <laughs> away. I mean, maybe it does happen. I, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would imagine that, that it's the the tv tv durations of course you you don't want to to have a you know be required to cut a, f- a 50 minute hour of tv of commercial tv and only have your first assembly coming in at 51 minutes yeah. because you've got your assembly by dint of it being an assembly is going to be kind of include everything and it's going to be kind of looser than than it will be when it's fine cut um and and so yeah, I I I imagine the scripts they're tightly honed. So you're somewhat protected from ending up in too bad at <laughs> yeah. A although away. I'm sure it can happen. Yeah. And and hey, then you know that look, you're you're one of you're you're one of a, a group of people. You know, just just because you're the editor and you've got to excise something, you know, <laughs> the directors got to. Yeah, it's, it's their responsibility. It's, it's 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 their work that's yeah. there, and they might kind of go, "Oh gosh, well we have to lose that chase scene, or we have to cut that chase scene in half." But I really, really love it. And uh, well, can I ask you then, like on an editing, like just going back to just general editing, then like for me, I've always felt that editing was well, it was kind of like me sitting at a tennis match where I'm choosing to turn my head on who I want to watch. So it's very like when I instinctively edit, say that first pass or anything, even if we're leading it loose. It's just more, who do I think, if I was sitting in that room, who would I be looking at? <laughs> and yeah. at the same reason, why would I hold on someone? Because I'm kind of curious to see, oh, how are they going to react to that? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. um, so for me, it's it's emotion drives yet it much more than any kind of other structural logic. Like, how, how do you feel about that? What would be your approach? I think that there's, there's, there's an interesting um, thing to discover um, as, as individual people that, that uh, have you ever been to the theatre? And, you know, there you are, there's the stage and there are actors on the stage. It's just one wide shot. <laughs> and yeah, it's one wide shot, but you're choosing to look at different people at different times. Now, you know, you could be the sort of person that if there's an actor on the left and an actor on the right, and the one on the left is kind of has a big monologue that your eyes never leave that person until, you know, the actor on the opposite side then has a line and then use that tennis match analogy, you know, your, your head whips and now you look at the other person. Maybe that's a, a large majority of your audience. I'd be, I'd be someone that if I was there at the theatre watching that performance, I'd be too curious. I'd be kind of going, oh, you know, that person's delivering a monologue and they're fantastic and I'm looking at them and I'm kind of getting real power from their speech. But, you know, I'd... I'd be too curious. I'd have to kind of look over the other side <laughs> of the stage and go, what's that actor doing over there? Yeah. You know, and actually, why are they over there? Why are they not what we term in film as being in a two shot? Yeah. So I can actually see the two of them. You know, the director of that theatre production has decided to put these two actors to use the whole width of the of the stage. And, you know, I I would I would find myself at certain points looking looking over at them and, and maybe again in a in an odd way looking at the non-speaker mm-hmm. more than I'd look at the speaker 
Well, it tells us a lot, though, doesn't it? Because we can obviously hear what one person is saying, but seeing how it's affecting another person tells us a lot about what how heavy those words are. Yeah. You know, because there may be information in that that we haven't seen yet, but we can tell by how someone's reacting to it yeah. how important that is, or how that that's personally or emotionally affecting them. Yeah, I, 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 you know, my personal taste in film is that that it's it's a medium of of image and it's a medium of sound. And so the I, I can receive all that information at, at once, and I'm, you know, my my brain hears the the spoken narrative, and I get it. And you know, if once I'm happy that I know that that person is stood in that corner or sat in that chair and they're delivering this speech, you know, I'm. I, my, my, I'm, I'm too curious. I'm, I'm much more interested in seeing, oh, how do people respond to this, this speech that's, that's going on? And so I think, um, if, if I was left to my own devices, my tendency would be more on the reaction than it would on the delivery of the, of the, the line. But you know, that's, um, that's not out of any just to be different that's just a that's just a, a taste uh, that's just my taste and maybe you know when i when i assemble stuff i tend to kind of move more in that direction then a director will come in and kind of go oh you need to be on the character for this line or we're not seeing enough of this character and their performance is kind of really really strong so Sometimes that can be good though as well, kind of because you can actually encourage the director to have to justify why we should be looking at someone, which again informs you on what their vision is. Yeah, and it, it and this, this you know again you know with with the assembly process and for for those listening that are editors out there, you know um, just in terms of process, when I assemble, I nail my colours to a to an assembly cut of a particular scene. I don't. You know, I'm I'm not an editor that cuts three versions of the same scene. Oh, I can <laughs> cut one where it favours the, the yeah. speaker, another version where it favours the reactions, another one where it favours all close up or all kind of master shots. I'm I respond to the material and you know and want to communicate the story. It's very important that the scene communicates what you read on the page that it kind of it, it's there it's very important there's no 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 justification at all for just staring at a a shot of a a spider web in the corner of a room while three people are having a conversation just because it's a lovely shot of a spider yeah. web you know it, it there's it, there has to be a justification as to why it's important to See the see the spider web. All the scenes about Spider Man that is actually going to kind of affect Spider Man and bite him, and he's going to become Spider Man. And then, okay, there's a reason why we're looking at the spider web. But um, as as editors, we should kind. Of, I believe that we should nail our, our colours, do our cut, and not be afraid that it's that it's wrong. It's an instinctive reaction to the dailies that come in. You need to communicate your thoughts and your responses to to the director because um, you're not on the set you don't know that the catering wasn't particularly good <laughs> that day or that you're looking at some some wonderful actors um, and 
they're delivering a, a lovely scene outside a beautiful country house. And actually, it was on the flight path to Dublin Airport, and the sound recordist was having their worst day ever. And everyone was frustrated because they had to keep cutting every... Yeah, every you so none of the emotional baggage, shall we say, yeah, that comes None of the that shoot. stuff. You, you're just looking at it purely as... And yet all you see is literally what's in that frame. So what, whatever was left or right is of no interest and yeah, no effect the, on the, you. the trucks could all be just kind yeah. of 20 feet to the side. You know, you don't see any of that. You don't realise that there are 50 people the other side of the camera all staring, all having a, an important role on the on the location. So, yeah, you're, you're, you just respond to the pictures and sound that you get and you make your your choices instinctively to do with um do with the story but it's very important i think for for editors to communicate that even if you know it's it's shooting when production's on it's it's really really difficult to get 5 minutes to talk with the the director of the film because they're so busy so even writing a little email at the you know the end of the day just I saw the rushes today, really responded to this, this and this. I just had a question. Um, I, you know, you've decided to realise this in a particular way, which kind of wasn't quite how I'd read it. How I'd read it. That's not to say that it's, it's, it, it's wrong. It's a choice. And you're just curious as to, you know, I thought you maybe would have, you know, Give me, give him, give Did me you get a, any coverage here? Like, is there <laughs> well, by any chance a close-up of this person? <laughs> yeah, and, but it's, it's, it's a delicate thing because on film production today, they have these fantastic monitors. It's not, not even playback of a take. You know, as the take is happening live, there's an HD monitor and all the key filmmakers are all hunched around this screen watching it. They can, they can see it as as it happens so they know you know there's you, you can't say to the director oh that, that's great i got that scene and um that's great and the master shots you know works really really well and you know you and there's you know a couple of mid shots and they're great mm. you didn't you didn't shoot a close-up well of course they know they know they didn't <laughs> shoot a close-up because <laughs> you know tell them something they don't know yeah. you know you it's or would you just send them an email then or would you would you send like here here is the assembly like what or would you be troubling a director at that stage? Like, what's your approach? No, I, every, every director is different. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to keep them, not not to show them any assembled stuff, but, but to reassure them that, yes, the scene... Is there. The, I've cut the scene together. It communicates. We have clearly, they've, you know, did eight takes on a particular character. And so they've got a small quite tight emotion and then they've got a very expressive emotion so we've got a it's when the whole thing's together you might go for big emotion at that point because it feels oh it's more engaging and communicates strongly but actually when you've got the whole thing assembled you look at it and you go actually you know let's go for take two where the actor was keeping the emotion quite small and, and 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 tight because you know the characters well that, that goes back to what you were saying about the, the montage being the images on top of each other that actually it's only when you see the previous scene <laughs> that we may already know how that actor is feeling and so we don't need to see the emotion in the next one just even almost not a blank face but like a stiller 
yeah. performance can actually still carry all that emotion which we've seen in the last one yeah and and and, and there are there are things you know and it's quite quite often that that something just unexpected happens within within a within a scene an actor gives a look and you use that look and that that look contains so much love for another character that actually when you come out, when you read it on the page you were going oh yeah that's just john and mary and they're going for a walk in the park but then you cut that scene together and you go oh my god there's a there, there, there's a real connection between these two gosh they're 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 totally besotted with one another they're made for one another i didn't realize that that was going to come across as strongly as it did but the chemistry just it's magic it's magic something happens but then three scenes later there's a kind of a scene where they show they (laughs) they, they declare their love for one another and you're kind of going i already know this i I don't need this this scene anymore so the whole but the scene gets shot or may have been shot beforehand you know because it's a funny one as well because i find like say when you're writing a script there's there's part of your writing the script as the blueprint for the film you're going to make, but you're also writing it to try and express to other people the type of film you want to make. As in, sometimes you have to put in maybe a bit more dialogue than you'd need because it's very hard to say that look. Do you know what I mean? Or that tension? Because I know by two actors just looking at each other across the room, I can feel whether there is tension between them, whether that's happy or sad. It's very hard to write that in the script just saying they, they, they look at each other. Well, you can, but you tend to put in maybe a bit more dialogue do you find in an edit a lot that you're actually, where possible, trimming out that dialogue because it becomes superfluous? One of the first things that, that gets reduced probably is exposition. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right that when you're reading on a page the story, you kind of need these helpful prompts. And there's, there's real reason for it that the script is what is getting your funding. And so with the director and the producers, there are script editors and people that are working, working the script. The script goes through many versions. And it's, it's, it's important at that stage that everybody understands who the characters are, where they've come from, what their journey is going to be. And so there might be more dialogue than you than you need. But so when you get into it's that's just reading. It's like reading a novel. You you want to know backstory on your characters. That but when you 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 get into the visual medium of a film, just by something as as simple as the choices made by the collaboration between the director and the costume designer, let's say, can absolutely draw an image of a character that gives you so much backstory. Mm. The moment you see them and you, you see you see the way their their hair is cut or or the design of their their costume, the colours that they're wearing, you take so much from from that and you kind of go got it i know this character is anarchic then i don't need this i I don't need now some scenes or some backstory to show me that they're anarchic that's the magic stuff that's the stuff that that we don't know and you know yeah it's it's just it's just wonderful that when the the whole creative team is is on is on fire the amazing stuff that a cinematographer can do with 
of lighting choices and everything else can give you Absolutely. a feeling of a of a scene that actually kind of make you it just allows you as an editor you know the, the working with the director to actually question actually do we need this scene now because the the cinematography has has conveyed oh this is a scary spooky place it wasn't it may have been in, in the pages like here's an exterior of a particular building but the the lighting the composition again you know the the design the location all of that stuff that you don't have on the page all comes into being i'm then the 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 lucky guy towards the you know further down the chain that gets presented with this image and i look at it and i respond as the audience are going to respond yes. you know i'm and i don't know any of the decisions have been made as to why why that you location just has been for what it is it is and you look at it and and that's you know that's important that you're so fresh and alive receiving that and respectful of all of the great work and talent that's gone into giving you these images to play with you know well like if i put my directing hat on them for a minute can i ask you like so in in scenes where you may end up losing certain dialogue or not or i know when you're editing it you can obviously cut around dialogue by using other people's reactions or showing other people but as an editor how would you like that footage to come to you like would you i guess nowadays with lower budgets quite often people only get to do enough takes just to have one that they feel is more or less usable mm-hmm. and then they have to move on mm-hmm. would you advise people to take that extra take or two and to try it differently or to try it like say let, let's cut out this dialogue let's do something so instead of you having to cut around dialogue that there's actually a scene that has less of it in there like is it much more beneficial to you for them to take an extra 10 minutes on set and to give you that scene done differently do you know what I mean? Like, what, what's the best footage to be able to give you to yeah, be able to do but, your job? But, but that—that's it's it's so tricky. That's like hoping to have a little magic wand. <laughs> you know what? What I would encourage, uh, or have a conversation with a director and, and encourage them, is that when they have the take that they like, just to be mindful that kind of you know, I think in every single thing that I've I've cut, the performance on the floor compared to the performance in the fine cut has has accelerated by um close you know it's it's maybe sort of three quarters faster maybe even a third faster by the time if you've deleted some dialogue. responses and stuff like that like just, quicker on top of the heels it just it just it does get quicker and yeah. you know and the, the more time you have to edit it's it's amazing that you know by just nibbling frames and everything else that initially you'd be on that you as a for, for a director you'd shoot a take and you'd go fantastic that's great the feel was completely right but it's it's very rare that the pace of that scene You'll nail it there in the spot. It, it will. It will get. It will get tighter, just by dint of the process of kind of that when you have the the editing comes into play and then familiarity and then your again your knowledge of what's come before affects the scene and you kind of go okay I don't need to hold that reaction on that character for as long because I I know how they feel about this other person yeah. and so. You know, the thing does get tighter. So what I, I do tend to encourage directors to do, and that there is there is never enough time, but having got the, 
the take on a master shot that they like, do another one, and if 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 the the actors are game, try and do one where it's they get through it a bit quicker. Yeah. Um, just to just to have just as a if they're able to if time time permits, which is very rare, but it's it's often an interesting thing to to do. Well, they're a bit more comfortable with the with the dialogue and everything at that stage, so you can get. I find like it's lovely if you've got a bit of space between, I guess, dialogue between people because obviously you can shorten that in editing. You can't really stretch out. Well, we can, but you know, uh, it it can be a little bit trickier. But I find when the actors deliver that line a little closer, the delivery is a bit different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It comes with a slightly different intention. So while That's I can cut out gaps, there is still something beneficial of getting them on set as close to that performance as you'd really like yeah and the and the thing that with with editing editing just isn't about cutting editing is about not cutting you would love to sit on a a shot because you're enjoying the performance you know and the point where there's a change in the scene that you decide okay that's where i'm going to go in for the slightly closer shot on a particular character because the the emphasis is changing within the scene so that that's feels to me as the editor the right place to be closer to this character it's frustrating then further down the line in the cut that when you've held a master shot to that point and then everybody kind of says i the scene's too slow it needs to tighten up and you're going but the the cut from the master into the the tighter coverage is the right place to go because it's giving me an emotional charge. Yeah, the impact of that. And they kind of go, oh, that may be the case, but the, the master shot is too slow. We need to speed it up. And the only way to speed it up is to go into the coverage sooner. sooner. And therefore, that cut that you had is just is, has lost its impact. And you still can cut to that same person, but if we've already been closer on character A and B already, when you that that point that you chose to go in off the master shot to character B on your assembly cut has has gone because you've just you've lost the you've taken something out of the performance in the scene. And with editing you're you're redirecting the audience's view all the time so you know the uh, it's very very subtle but you know I, I think sometimes that if 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 I had the choice if I had another take on the master shot where they actually delivered that ex- the exchange slightly quicker you could still hold it then I could maintain that that cut now I'm 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 talking solely from an editor's point point of view and you know and I know Plenty of directors out there will completely understand the the logic be, behind cutting to the cover at a certain point. Mm. Sometimes those things just just get lost, no. and it's not that it you, you know the editing is bad. The editing has to serve so many masters. It has yeah. to serve storytelling and performance, but it also has to serve pace. Part of I guess the, the, the film revolution of the, the digital revolution that's come in is things have changed dramatically on how films are shot, how they're made, access to cameras, but also accessing to editing software, editing suites. People can set themselves up at home and everything like that. And that as a result has, well, 
there's the democratization of film, which sounds like this great thing, which has actually opened up people's ability to make films, which is wonderful from an artistic point of view, but it has also made it more challenging, shall we say, in the professional world for certain people to be able to make a genuine living out of it. As in, there's a difference between people who are just doing this out of a bit of interest as a hobby type mm-hmm. thing and then professional people and the, the cost that goes with those things. Can you talk about the, the pros and cons of, of how editing has changed that way with nonlinear systems and I guess how maybe editors should either appreciate the importance of their department as well and that it's not just an afterthought, especially when it comes to budget allocation? The revolution of nonlinear technology is, you know, what was fantastic. It enables so much more flexibility than the days of cutting on film. You know, um, it's very important to kind of point out that that the the time it takes to make the editing decisions is still the same. And I was fortunate enough to to be. Uh, an assistant and an editor on film and so the the days of cutting that 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 point when you're assembling and you actually have to physically cut some celluloid and sellotape join another piece of celluloid together you would look at the the outgoing image and the incoming image for a good couple of minutes to kind of go yeah I think I'm going to make the cut there because you didn't want to have too many sellotape joins in your film print because then it wouldn't project very well. Mm. So you had to be quite conservative initially and you probably overlap cuts knowing that you would, as the process got closer and closer, you would pare them down. The explosion of nonlinear came along and you could just go click, click, join two shots together and if you kind of went oh, well, that's rubbish. You could just go hit another button and yeah, it would take undo. Take one frame off, try again. Take one frame off, try again. Or just hit, hit the undo button yeah. and it would go back a step or or as many as you wanted. So the whole notion of having an idea to go, oh, actually, you know, a scene from the last act of the film, can we try opening the film with that? On on days of of, of physical film, you would have to spool that particular reel down break the sellotape joins, put it onto a separate a, a separate film core, wind that film off the, the steam back, put the first reel up, join it in. It would take, at a good speed, it would take kind of 15 minutes or so mm. just to, to do that. And then you'd look at it and go, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> put it back again. And it's another 15 minutes to reconstitute it. So nonlinear editing allowed that flexibility to, to for you to be able to do those radical things. But more so in, in modern editing now, the the role of the editor, you know, we, we can do so much now with nonlinear editing. And I think that I'm, I'm, I'm not alone. There are huge you know, editors ac- across the world will all respond to this that we are you know not only cut the film we're at we're editing with temp music so we, we're you know on certain um, budgets where you don't have a music editor the editor is editing temp music we have the ability to add sound design and sound effects and atmosphere we we have the ability to manipulate the cinematography you know, you can you can resize stuff, you can flop it, you can 
adjust the racking. You can, you know, if if something is a little bit too bouncy, in stabilize. you can stabilize. Yeah. I mean, and and even simple VFX stuff. You know, simple compositing or picture in picture manipulation. I mean, huge amount of stuff, and and that that's all part of the storytelling. Then you add on to that that we can do title design and simple graphics and and some editors that I know they they have after effects you know a separate machine that that actually they can export stuff and work on after effects and do some really stylish title work things like you know oh someone's having a mobile phone conversation and rather than cutting the two sides of the phone or hearing the conversation down the phone they kind of go actually we want to put a little you know iphone speech bubble and have the text from the conversation actually on the screen you know that's kind of quite complex to do but on after effects you can actually mirror the the same graphic displays that you have on your iphone and attach it and so all of these things come into come into play and that's that's what an an editor does and there's a lot of work that's that's required to be done that actually is only there for the the editing process you know you are going to have a team of sound editors come on board you are going to have a composer join you and kind of you know write the score and you are going to have a graphic designer that will um, create all your graphic graphic work um, you'll have visual effects teams that come on to do all the visual effects, but you, so you you need to have the skill to be able to to do these things because the picture the picture resolution that you're you're dealing with is 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 immense. I, re- I remember that you know when nonlinear first came came into being, you know the picture quality was kind of like oh. so pixelated, <laughs> and you know it was really quite difficult to see the image very hard to edit a performance when you can't actually see what's actually happening in the frame blocky kind of you know and on a wide shot you just had these blocks and you were kind of having to you you would have to sort of reference the good quality material and check the time code to see all right yeah no they 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 don't blink there or that that's that's good whereas now you know i'm um um, I'm about to go onto a, a film, and I think that they're going to be to a studio film, and they're going to be shooting kind of 6K. And my rushes will be DNX 115. Mm. I mean, the the picture quality will be stunning, absolutely stunning. And the cut in the Avid, which will have kind of temp music and sound design and maybe some graphic work when it's done in six months time we'll we'll test it to audiences in a cinema and it will be a a spit out from the avid and it will be kind of projected in a in an auditorium in front of you know a couple of hundred people and the and the quality will will look amazing mm. you know and so we have to have that that skill it's a requirement it's it's just that 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 expectation people don't feel like it's a it's a it's a proper film otherwise and so you know that that's that's a real challenge for an editor because you know you'll get a huge volume of material on a on a big film you might get two or three cameras and you know there's a huge amount of material to 
to marshal and to organize you know organization is is for me maybe it's because of my background in film but organization is is really key and this is where we're talking about actually when you get the footage initially like actually before you even start putting anything together the how essential it is to break things down how, how do you approach footage actually when you get it in i would always insist on having an assistant editor uh, you know i i um i think the the role of the assistant editor is is really really important in terms of organizing clips are, are, are called by their slate taken scene number I organize them into into individual scene bins. So if there are a hundred scenes in in the film, I'll have a hundred different bins within my Avid or Final Cut project, depending on what what system I use. And there'll be um, there'll you know, I I have them in a folder that I have kind of scenes that are to, scenes to cut and scenes that I have cut. Um, when I when I edit on my timeline, I don't actually edit individual individual scenes, and so I have a hundred different edits. Mm. Um, I actually kind of have one assembly edit, which starts with one scene with a caption either side that says "scene missing," and then I gradually build it from there. Okay, so you organically so, build it into the one so timer. it becomes. So I have kind of one one assembly edit. So actually, at any point, I can spool through the first week of edited mm. uh, or assembled shooting and I can see all those scenes and when if I have scene 17 and the next day I go in I have rushes for scene 18 then I can reference scene 17 and kind of go okay this is you know I, I'll reread the the script again but I'll kind of see what I assembled for scene 17 and that will influence me when I when I cut or assemble scene 18. And so you would assemble scene 18 directly in between the, like say scene 17 and scene 19 that are sitting there. Like you'll just yeah. build it straight in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I, um, for those, you know, editors listening that will understand this, you know, I, I tend to edit in trim mode. So, you know, I'm, I'm pulling, pulling and pushing the timeline with me all the time. So I, um, quite often I might sort of, you know, extend one track that's going to the left of my timeline and another one that's moving to my to my right. But that's the way I, I work. So my my timeline is is fluid and is always in sync and is staying with me. Mm. And I also designate because you can cut on a number of tracks, audio tracks. I dedicate the first four tracks on my um, timeline to being production audio, and then I dedicate the next couple of tracks to being sound effects and then the next couple of tracks to being atmospheres and then music. And so um, I'm very meticulous in when I'm kind of cutting on the timeline that I, I, I label them so I know what they are, but yeah. I, keep, I, I keep my timeline very, very tidy so that if at any point, you know, my assistant needs to spit out a, a cup for a composer to watch you know, she knows that kind of tracks eleven and twelve are yeah, or she needs to split yeah. them so they're they're on a different track so the composer can hear them or choose not to hear them. Yeah, I think actually, see again, it depends because if, if people have started off with short films and everything, it's kind of a bit easier to get away with lack of preparation on those because there's there's less of a film there afterwards. But I think that kind of discipline from the beginning is something that massively stands you, particularly when you're talking about audio. Actually, just because. 
when it comes to the end of the day, if you have different sound effects or dialogue just spread across, I don't know, 20 or 30 tracks, it's incredibly laborious to have to go back. And there's also a strong risk of either muting the wrong thing or even taking something out that actually belongs there. And it's just a nightmare when it comes to handing it over yeah. to the sound machine. Because of course that responsibility tends to fall on the editorial department to deliver it in a lovely tidy way before yeah. the sound people because they don't want to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, so definitely I think that that kind of discipline from the beginning, as heartbreaking as it can be, really pays off. But you've got to put the you know the picture and sound down on your timeline so why not put it onto a dedicated track you know just because when you you open a clip it automatically a1 and 2 go to a1 and 2 but if it's a a sound effect just drag them down to a7 and 8 and And it becomes pretty natural after you get used to it like just at the beginning it can seem slower but uh yeah i think once you once you've organized that 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 thing and I, i i do find that even even when i've you know, a very, very busy cut if it's an action sequence or something. Maybe I, I need to have six or eight production tracks. And so um I tend to I tend to on on the Avid I tend to have my my picture window for my source and record monitoring kind of really small and my timeline really big. Okay. But I have a, I like to have a very large monitor so that actually I'm always looking at a, a large output monitor. So whether I, I'm looking for a source clip or, a, or an edit on the record clip, I can see it big. You can see it big, yeah. Which I do think is, it's, it's a funny thing that I remember catching me off when I first bought a Mac I was editing off. I must have been Final Cut 6, I'd say, but... It was a smaller, well, it was the biggest screen they had at the time, but I think it was like 19 inches or 20 inches. And you get used to looking at the edit of your film and it's a small part in the top right-hand corner. And an edit might look fine there. And yet when you watch (laughs) it on a bigger screen, all of a sudden it falls apart. Like it's something to be really aware of. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, certainly if you're cutting for cinema, then, you know, you want... You want to try and get as big a monitor as as possible, and uh, I saw one recently that was like a sixty five inch monitor, and it's um, you know it's it's fantastic. Mm. And if if you're fortunate to be cutting with sort of DNX one one five footage or upwards of that, then you know having having a big monitor does give you that kind of envelops you in that cinematic arena, and is is really really helpful. Especially again, it's it's seeing what's in the scene, though, isn't it? Because it, those details they do matter, like on how much, especially wider shots, I guess as well. Like a close up, and actually, as an editor, you're probably more likely to lean on the close ups if you're editing on smaller screens, because at least in that one, you can be very sure of what you're seeing. But like, so if you're, I know you edit a lot in studios, but then when you're working at home, what sort of setup do you have? What, how's the room kind of laid out? What do you like working with? It is it is rare that I'll work at home. I I like the discipline of going somewhere to to edit and on on lower budget films i've edited edited in the director's spare bedroom or you know their their study space clearly on bigger films you're either in a studio or a facility house when i'm when i'm at home i i i have a um i like to edit on if i had a preference it would be avid and it would be a, a two two screen an avid and an output monitor i, I don't i don't have a, a sound mixer i use the, the sound mixer within the avid so um i do a, a quite a quite a lot i'm sure 
all the editors listening will say, yeah, so do I. But I, I do an awful lot of audio editing, mm. you know, and I think it's we we have to. It's a requirement. So you're kind of putting in a lot of audio edits, you know, invisible yeah. um, audio edits and, and ramping the sound down with a kind of an audio dissolve. I, I know there are function. There's a function on the Avid where you can actually do like a live mix if you have a little kind of mixing desk, so you can actually, feel you know, it. you can feel it. I'm, I, I, I don't go for that myself. I actually kind of like to get in there and go. Okay, at this point where the dialogue finishes, I'm gonna kind of put a cut there, and I'm just gonna ramp the audio up, but not necessarily from kind of the point where the dialogue starts. I might kind of do a little sort of 30 frame audio dissolve so it's just coming up under the you don't hear it come up mm. you know and so you know I'm quite meticulous about about that when I'm that can be very important editing. as well though to knowing if an edit works isn't it because like you know if the dialogue is is cutting or chopping it's very easy to, to make you feel that your edit isn't working and actually might be just perfect yeah a visual edit I mean of course yeah. and, and, so- and and also with with the audio thing because the the backgrounds vary so much it's a it's a bug a personal bugbear of mine, but I I hate it when the you know you you're you're cutting between a couple of characters in a scene, and you're hearing the traffic noise behind one, and then then it goes, and because the other person is in a different part of the room, and there's no traffic noise mm. behind them, and you get this kind of shh shh, and I you know I. I can't watch the scene like yeah. that. I have to what we what we commonly call in you know days of film, you know, um finding a bit of fill mm. and and actually scouring through the um when the the clapperboard kinda goes before they call action, you can often find that there's if you're lucky, there's a second of atmosphere there and so i would certainly build up the noisier track in a in a scene with as much fill so that you know and and just ramp that so that it it plays and even though that 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 background sound may ultimately get adr'd you know we we may adr that dialogue and Mm. and and that background is is no good to us i still feel the need to just make it make it smooth um i wouldn't just put a yeah. Oh, there's traffic behind that. I'll just so get just a traffic loop and lash, lash some more traffic on because that just makes it worse. So, um, so if people are then like, if they're setting this up at home, obviously depending on people's budget and availability, like I think most computers now can can work pretty efficiently. Like you know, you can edit. I'd say at least up to 2K footage on, on most computers now. 4K, you're going to want to be pushing it a bit harder. But like, so would you advise them on, I definitely agree with you on, say, a designated room, at least if you have to do it at home. But are you talking, your two monitors directly in front of you and your export monitor on the wall behind you? Would you have it off to the side? Yeah, I my my um, my output monitor is, um, I always have it to my right. I'm left-handed. And so I, I tend to, you know, I have my, my keyboard and mouse favoring my left side. And my uh, my monitor is always to to the right, but yeah, the 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 editing. I mean, I appreciate the budgets that people have to edit at home. Sometimes it can be fairly unhealthy because you you lose the discipline of the day. I think as as a when I was a very young assistant editor, you know, getting into the the way the studio kind of hours used to 
used to work that crew would be on the floor at eight o'clock in the morning and then they'd wrap at six or seven o'clock in the evening mm. and they would watch rushes. It is it is good to have a strict, uh, an editing kind of timetable in your in your head that you you don't exhaust yourself too much that you know just because you know oh this is my first week of editing and you end up being in front of the machine till 11 o'clock at night i think that there is um it's it's good to discipline yourself because when when you're in the edit you know your brain is very very hard for your brain to switch off from it and you know and i think that to to complete your day and whether you want to kind of you know you have some some hobby or pastime or you want to go for a walk or something it's good to just take your focus away from it you'll still think about it and you know when when i'm when i'm cutting certainly when i've cut here in dublin and i've been at some of the the facility houses around the place i walk home I find that at the end of the day, whether it's raining or, or the sun's cracking the flags, I do do actually enjoy the fact that I can walk home for thirty minutes and just let those let it process. <laughs> let those, yeah, let those editing kind of thoughts just work their way out. And um, and sure enough, you know, sometimes when you're kind of faced with a with an editing problem, um, it's amazing what the brain does. That you know you're. You're going, oh gosh, I'm never going to be able to cut this scene. I just can't get the thing to to work. And all of that information goes in. And then when you sleep at it, sleep on it. Hopefully it doesn't keep you awake. But you go into the cutting room the next day and you look at it and all of a sudden the thing just kind of goes. And it, and it the edit just works. It all comes together. And yeah, it's actually, and that, that brings up a very interesting point, though. With the again, limited, but it's it's always sad to have to talk about like a creative thing within regards to limitations. But I guess that is part of the reality of of film and movies. They're expensive, even the cheapest ones. Um, it's actually having the space to allow that edit to find its kind of natural place, and as a result of that, like what it's an you know it's how long is a piece of string thing, but. How long do you think people should be budgeting for an edit, say, of their feature films? They were talking a ninety-minute film. Yeah, um, look, you know, it 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 varies. It varies so much. You know, the um, it's quite quite common on bigger films. The the after the shoot, you know, a director would get eleven weeks for director's cut. Now I can hear some filmmakers out there going, falling off their chair. <laughs> I've got six weeks to to get to picture lock, so it does vary um, very hugely. The the one thing that I would say to directors and and any producers mm. that are listening is that just just look at how much a shooting day costs in comparison to how much how many editing days you would get for that one shooting day. And, you know, I think the, the, the figures can sometimes be incredible that, you know, one shooting day is like, you know, equivalent to like months of editing. Uh, I, I don't know the figures, but, you know. Well, no, actually on bigger productions, I'm sure. Uh, and the return you get for a day of editing is phenomenal. The... Um, the time spent with the cut. You're taking all of these wonderful bits that 
the rest of the the crew have helped the director realize but they all come into the cutting room and then you know you just you just there's there's no substitute for time you know and there isn't a finite amount of there isn't one can't say that okay 37.3 weeks is what yeah. you need to edit a film there there you know f- film is um you never you never finish editing a film you have to stop at some point mm. and hopefully you're you're on the you know you're on the crest of the wave when you when you stop you're not kind of you're not coming down the other side <laughs> you know so that um but yeah so uh, you know it is it is a bit of a kind of how how long's a piece of string really but the i think the 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 cost of you know an editing day compared to other areas of production is you know is quite cheap but the return is really high and it is just the editorial team and the director in a room with an avid or a final cut pro or whatever you're cutting on it's there's it's a very it's a very creative environment and considerably cheap compared to how expensive other other things are no and it makes sense actually i was kind of curious even then um, before we wrap up when it comes to when you're getting towards the end you've done a number of passes and the, and the film is sort of there like do you on a even a bigger budget film do you get to take a little bit of a step back from that film is there or is it like would you be lucky if you just had a weekend before you, you know what i mean just to be able to come back with those fresh eyes to be able to do a final tidy up or not yeah i think i think the you know in an it's it's good it's good for the director to be able to take time i think with the editor that there is always something to do mm. When you get into fine cutting, you do have a mental list like there are there are a thousand things oh I must look look at that 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 transition or I must look at that join or I just want to tidy up that audio or that music edit's not very good you know there there are loads of things that are passable when you're just going through and to be able to keep keep the director as fresh as possible, some directors love to be in the cutting room. You know, all the time. Some just like to come in, give you their feedback, and go away again. You know, there's no. Which do you feel is more beneficial that way? Actually, they're, they're, they're all they're, they're all good. I'm I'm open to. You don't mind them being over your shoulder. No, no. I you know and you know quite often, you know, a director will be in the cutting room. They'll just put headphones on and sit there on Netflix and kind of watch <laughs> watch a watch watch a, a TV series on Netflix or something and you know like you can just you can just kind of wave at them and the headphones come off and can I just show you this or they're on their emails and it's fine if they want to be in the in the space with you that that's good some are very attentive and kind mm. of want to be very close to you and are fascinated by kind of what you're doing especially first time directors who are like thrilled at the the chance and they see oh, it you is know, exciting what, watching what, this coming together in, and you know um and and i appreciate that because i i can you know i remember as an assistant editor you know on film being being stood behind the um the editor and the director pegging trims and watching them and they'd be having a discussion and I'm going to think, oh, I'm just going to kind of have the the close-up of this character ready because I'm sure they're going to want to go there and then the editor turns around and asks for a completely different shot that I, you know, and I'm kind of going, oh, okay, and I'll pass them that and where I thought they were going to go, they, they went somewhere completely different. Mm. And so, you know, there is a, a wonderful alchemy in editing of you know the 
that collaboration between the the creative collaboration between the director and the editor is you know when it when it fits and it and it works and you're on the same page it's just a um, a wonderful wonderful experience perfect okay well then just lastly before we wrap up then for people who want to get going in editing i think there's definitely an element of like valuing your craft and actually you know this is the tricky thing of like working for free and everything like that but like are people best getting out there get editing short films whether it's working for free or not get going or how do you think they should approach it how do you think they should get into this industry yeah, my, my my advice would be to try and discover where you want to express yourself as an editor, because you know you can, you know, if if you you join a facility house as a as a runner as what they would call an assistant editor, isn't as glamorous as you might think it is, because you you're in a you know you're not in the cutting room. You're in a kind of a machine room in a different part of the building, and you're just you're constantly watching blue lines go across computer bars, making quick times or transcoding rushes. Um, and if you're you know, and you do a bit of syncing up and hand some kind of bins over to to the editor, and you don't get the experience of actually being in the room with the editor. So. That's one role, but that can be very soul-destroying. And I, I do know a number of people that have gone down that route and then they've gone, oh, no. I, I've just given up and just, you know, this isn't, not not enjoying, they've not enjoyed that process at mm. all. And the hours are very, very long and it's um, it's not very, it's not creative really at all. It's just very mechanical. So on films where there, where there is a film production, there is an editorial department. I would get in touch with the editor or the assistant editors on those things, on those those type of productions, and try and try and get yourself in on some work experience. You know, I know it's terrible, even if it's voluntary, to just go in and hang around that environment and see that how that environment works. And you know, if you get an opportunity, then to to get in as a as a sort of production runner or a second assistant editor on a on a film and if you the the team works well then you know editors are very 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 loyal you know to their editorial staff i have a, a first assistant who i've worked with on a number of productions and she's coming with me onto my next film and I'm I'm picking up a second assistant for the first time on this production. So you know, and we've all met and we all get along great. So this could be the beginning of a a journey through two, three, four, five films. And you know, quite often a second assistant becomes a first assistant, and yeah. then you you bring in another second. So um, working your way up, treating yeah. it like I guess a, a, as any other career out there is being willing to to start at the bottom and earn your. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and and le- learn learn the craft and and be around that. And it's it, it's weird if you if you choose the environment that you want to get into, you know whether it be reality TV or television drama or comedy or feature film, you know the the people that are um, are involved in that production are going to do it again and again and again, you know hopefully. And so, you know if you your face becomes familiar, you know if you're 
the first assistant with an editor and you've worked with a, a particular editor on 10 films and they have a relationship so you know look a lot of a lot of director editor relationships repeat themselves and so as a as a first assistant you could be the first assistant with a director editor on a on a number of films and then a, a film comes along and the director's going to shoot it and the the editor isn't available because they're on another production and if they've they've had you around for 10 films and you know during that time you've maybe you've edited a, a teaser trailer or something on a number of films because you get those kind of opportunities and you know say the the editor took ill for um, mm. a few days and you needed to step up and get in the chair because they needed the cut to continue you might have had that opportunity and then the director once they they know you they might kind of go okay well you know tony's on another film um but you know they might give me a call and say so i was thinking about your your first on my next production what do you mm. you know would you how do you think that would go and i go great you know my my first is kind of you know that's true. If you're really, not seen, that no one's ever going to really, know really, first. really keen to wants to wants to edit is waiting for the opportunity. You should definitely meet them and talk to them. And those those stories, I suppose, they're kind of rare, but they do happen. If you're familiar to the, the team that you're um, working with, then opportunities can arise. But it's it, it is difficult, you know. Non linear editing, you know, as as you were indicating, you know, a lot of first time directors you know because of budget they they end up cutting the film themselves and you know i think there is there is no substitute really for the collaboration between an editor and a and a director i think that the yes you know some some directors have to do it because they have no money. Yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because you know, I I hold my hands up having edited Chromewood myself, but that really was as much out of necessity and because I came from an editing background myself. But I would very happily have handed that over to someone else because I I think there's no way you could look at that footage, especially actually on smaller productions, because the pressure is so high um, that you could ever have that eye that say you would have come to the project. Because even for me. You know, when I thought I had a final cut, I went to the board with it. They, they had a look at it with Rory Martin, and he, it was amazing to me how he made a couple of suggestions. And it was it was bizarre because it was a couple of months after I thought I had picture lock on it. But it gave me that freedom. Once I took these few bits out, all of a sudden I went through the whole film and I took eight minutes out of it. Um, and it seemed so easy, but it was just having someone else to be able to say to me, Maybe you know yeah. that you could trust as well, though. Actually, and that trust was very important. And it respect. is the, the the trust is is really key. And you know, if you know, for for directors out there, that you know, if you find the right editor and you 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 engage and you know you you know the the collaboration is sound, that there's there's total trust, then it it really is a great experience and. You know, and editors, people that train train as editors, they they look at things in a way that is is really unique. They're really, you know, I can't quite explain how what what it is that that happens in my brain when I look at the rushes, but it is kind of like a, it is kind of as natural as an audience sees it, but it is with total technical proficiency and 
knowledge of performance and story and everything else, but there is like a real innocence in the way that you you look at the rushes. You're not you you, you don't carry any of the issues that happened on the floor. You know, yeah, it's and actually, then I think actually is a good kind of wrap up point of something you mentioned before we started recording the podcast. Actually, that for people when you're starting out, whether it's a a small budget thing or even if it's your first feature or whatever it is don't be afraid to approach the experienced editors actually people are much more open than you think to being able to chat and talk to you it doesn't mean necessarily they'll be able to come onto your project but they may be able to point you in the right direction recommend to you and everything like that you know absolutely and you know the the again you know the thing of having an experienced assistant that maybe if the project's not for you you can say actually I can remember, I can recommend this this person to you, but you know if you have a, a tiny budget film and why, why not approach a cinematographer that has cut some Hollywood movies? You know they can only say no. Yeah. And the same with an editor. You know you can just because they've cut a a, a big movie that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll kind of they're going to turn your I think people are more friendly than people imagine sometimes as well. I think people are a bit intimidated by that, but actually more often you may not get a reply to an email or something, but more often than not you will. And actually quite often people are at least willing to give you a coffee or to chat to you on the phone or something, you know? And like, you know, if they, you know, you, you read the script and if you really like the script and you like what the director's vision is and how they're, you know, their, their approach and you get on, then it can happen, you know, and, and quite often, you know, when you're, when you're working on sort of, you know, the, I always view the, the opportunity to work on a bigger film actually allows you to do some of the, the lower budget films. So you can actually balance the two together and, you know, the, the lower budget films can be equally rewarding and sometimes, you know, more so because, you know, creatively you have to just step up a little bit more than maybe you would do if you've got a huge infrastructure around you and a lot more support and, you know, a bigger team. So Perfect. Tony, thank you so, so much for coming in and talking to us today. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, I hope people found this interesting. Yeah, my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks.